are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. Good morning. I hope you are doing well. Uh, My name is Lee and I'm the lead pastor here at Heights. If you're a guest with us today, uh, whether in person or online, we want to welcome you and uh, invite you to connect with us. And one of the easiest ways to do that, if you're watching from home today, uh, in the description of the post is a link that says connect. uh, Or if you're here in the worship center, you can text uh, the word welcome to the number on your screen or uh, go to heightschurch.org slash connect. And that way we can just get to know you a little bit better, pray for you, see any ways we can come beside you and help you uh, during this time. So if you have a Bible, let's open up to Joshua chapter 6. And so if you've got a copy of the Bible with you in your hand, or maybe you want to turn that on on your phone, uh, the words will be on the screen as well. Uh, we have been in a series through the book of Joshua and uh, we call this series kind of strong and courageous because uh, what we're realizing is God had called the people of Israel uh, to go and possess the land of Canaan. Uh, and so this was land that was promised to them uh, several hundred years before uh, over to um, uh, Abraham. And now it's their time to go and possess that land. But through that, there's going to be a lot of different uh, issues that they're going to have to overcome. There's going to be a lot of challenges that you're going to have to face. And so one of those challenges is a spiritual challenge. It's a spiritual challenge they had that like you would have and I would have where are we going to obey God or are we not going to obey God? Uh, they had some physical challenges along the way. The last time we were in Joshua was Joshua chapter four, where God parted the Red Sea and, and they had to cross over, or excuse me, the Jordan River and they had to cross over the Jordan River, uh, but they couldn't do that on the, their own. I mean, there was no way they were going to get across. So God parted that Jordan River for them to to cross. But then now we're entering into a period of the book of Joshua uh, that's called the the conquest chapters. And what you're going to see over the next several chapters is really these military battles uh, that the people are going to have to fight. Uh, One of the first stops along the way is going to be Jericho. And so they're having to come in and now fight against these enemies uh, and, and overtake their land. Uh, take that land from them. And so you, next week, we're going to finish up the conquest chapters that we're going to introduce to you this morning. Uh, but I think there's a couple of, of questions that, that probably come up in our heads when we start thinking about uh, everything that's happening here with Joshua, especially in Jericho. The first one is this. If God is calling the people uh, to go take over another country, Right? And that's what he's doing. He's calling the people to go into Jericho and defeat them. How is that okay? I mean, just from a simple ethics standpoint, how is that okay? That God would send the Jewish people in to, to go and, and really slaughter other men, women, and children. And, and that's the command. You know, don't, don't leave any survivors. Don't take any prisoners. How's that okay? Well, why is that okay for God to do? Uh, And and so what I want to do this morning is I want to touch on that answer this morning, but then next week we're going to develop it out uh, even more. Second question would be this. Uh, Who's really doing the fighting here? You know, when you come to chapter 6, you come to the Battle of Jericho, who's really doing the fighting? Uh, If you think about your life right now, all the issues that you have, who's really doing the fighting in your life right now against all those problems? 
And the third question is this. What does this have to do with me? Right? What, what does Joshua chapter 6 have to do with anything we're going through right now? I mean, you, you may be battling depression and anxiety and looking for a job, have financial issues, marital issues, kid issues, grandkid issues, issues for issues. I mean, your issue list has a list for its issues, right? I mean, you, you got all kinds of things going on and you're thinking, what in the world does Joshua chapter 6 have anything to do with me? Fascinating question. Let's pray together. All right. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Uh, Lord, as we think about July 4th weekend, uh, we do celebrate the, the work of many men and women uh, throughout our country's history that not only have uh, fought for our freedom, uh, but Lord, are still actively preserving that. And Lord, we thank you for the freedoms that we experience, uh, the freedom just to be able to worship this morning, whether we are in our living rooms or whether we are here in person. Lord, we, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray as we saw that video at the beginning of our service uh, for our nation. We know there's a lot of things within our nation that are happening right now that would not please you. And so we pray for a revival and we do pray for a turning back. But Lord, all the revivals we've seen throughout history and in Scripture start with the people of God. And so Lord, I, I pray for our church. I pray for myself. I pray for each person that's watching at home or in this worship center, that, Lord, you would revive us, that it would begin with us. And so, Father, we pray the words of David from Psalm 51 and verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Lord, do not cast us away from the presence of your Holy Spirit, but, Lord, restore us to the joy of your salvation. And, Father, then we will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. And so, Father, that's our prayer this morning. Verse 10, that you would create in us a clean heart. Verse 11 of Psalm 51, that, Lord, you would not cast your presence away from us. Father, verse 12, that you would restore to us the joy of your salvation and you would uphold us by your generous spirit. And verse 13, Father, that we may teach others about you so they may return to you. So Lord, as we come into this text, we pray that Lord, wherever we're watching this from and, and participating in, that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand your word today, that we may better live for you and honor you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen. When you grab your Bible and you go into chapter 6, we pick up in verse 1, and we see that God gives the people of Israel, this outrageous plan to overtake Jericho. Verse 1 says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its kings and the mighty men of valor. Verse 3, here's the plan. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. She'll do that for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Verse 5 says, And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shall shout with a great shout, and the walls of the city will fall down flat. 
and the people shall go up everyone straight before him. When you think of that plan that God gave the people of Israel, you would probably agree with me in this. That is a foolish military plan, right? I mean, you think about this. If you know anything about warfare, you know anything about medieval period times, there's all kinds of ways that you can attack Jericho. I mean, who's drawing this up? None of us would. We would probably say, all right, bring out the, the battering ram and let's ram the gates. You know, wheel out the catapults and let's, you know, try to shoot some big boulders over the walls. Maybe line up all the archers, you know, flaming arrows into the city. You know, there's ladders we can employ, ropes we can try to climb over the walls, anything but this. Because essentially this plan is walk around the walls one time a day for six days. In the seventh day, go around seven times. Make seven laps. You've already changed your body for this, right? Your stamina is up. You can do it. On that seventh lap, yell. Blow the horns. The walls will come down. I mean, can we, can we all agree in here, and maybe we can agree online, that, that this is foolish? I mean, that this plan is, is utterly foolish. But isn't it like God, though? to take something that we would all call foolish and use it to build his kingdom? I mean, isn't it like God to take something the world would call foolish and get his message out? Isn't it like God to use something we would call foolish to extend salvation to people? I mean, if you have your Bible open, uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now bookmark Joshua 6. We'll be right back there. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul addresses the foolishness of man and how God can often give us something what we would call foolish, but he uses for his glory and good. In the letter to the 1 Corinthians, to Corinthians he says in chapter 1 and verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly, it's foolish, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerner I will thwart. Verse 20, he says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Verse 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Notice verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I mean, isn't it like God that in that day and time when the world looked at a cross and said that's foolishness? to put our Savior upon it, for him to bear our sins, to pay our penalty? Isn't it like God to take something as foolish as a cross and use that to extend salvation to all people, that those who believe experience the power of God out of something the world would call foolish? When we come back into Joshua chapter 6, we see that this plan 
that God had given Joshua, he's passed on to the generals who have then passed on to the lieutenants who have passed on down to the sergeants and then to the troops. We pick up in verses 6 through 11, and you see now the formation that God is putting the army in. He says in verse 6, take up the Ark of the Covenant, let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. So verse 8 tells us that Joshua did this, and verse 9 tells us that now they're blowing their horns, and the end of the formation is more armed men. So your formation is simply this. You have armed men in the beginning, troops. Second in line are your priests with the trumpets. Third in line is the ark of the, of the covenant. And then fourth in line is more armed troops. Do you notice who was in the middle of that formation? Who's in the middle? It's the Ark of the Lord. And what's interesting about that is that the author of this chapter, he goes through the painstaking part of pointing out the Ark to us often. The Ark of the Lord is used 14 times in chapter 6 alone. What is he doing? He's doing this for you as a reader. He's drawing your attention to the ark. He's pointing our attention to the ark. See, anytime Israel marched throughout their history in their wilderness period of years when they were wandering around, when they would line up in formation and mark, the ark was always at the center. Where is the ark here? It's at the center. What's the author trying to tell you to do? Look at the ark. Because what's the ark of the Lord? The, the ark of the Lord is the symbol of God's presence. It's the symbol of God's presence. So he's saying in this battle, in this moment, in this time, God is with you. He's right here with you. He's in the center of all this. This is where the Lord has positioned himself, right in the middle to let you know this is ultimately his fight. This is ultimately to know that this right here belongs to the Lord. Yeah, I think in your life right now, there's a lot of unknowns, isn't it? We don't, we don't know about next week or even next year. There's, there's unknowns you might be having waiting on a medical test, waiting on a job interview to come back. Maybe things seem foggy to you or a little bit hazy. Things aren't just clear in your life right now. I mean, we, we enter in July and, and what we're at halftime of 2020, halfway through, right? And so far, the first six months have been dazzling great, haven't they been? I'm a little concerned. I was thinking about it this the other day. We just skipped over the whole murder hornets thing. Did you notice that? Like one day the news said there are murder hornets out there. And then like two days later, no more talk of murder hornets. I'm thinking we need to return to the murder hornets. I've got questions someone needs to answer. But here's the thing. No matter how foggy it is, no matter how much you lack vision right now, how uncertain things are. Where's God? God? God hasn't left you. God hasn't abandoned you. God says, I'm, I'm here. I'm with you. I'm in the middle. Why? Because what's the ark of the Lord for us today, if you will? What's the visible symbol of the, of the Lord's presence in our lives? Well, as believers in Jesus Christ, we house the Holy Spirit. We temple the Holy Spirit within us. We have the Word of God today. 
God's saying, no matter what you're facing, the battle you're in, no matter how unclear it is, I've given you my word and I've given you my presence in your life. I'm with you in the middle of this. And so as they are in formation, you and I can take comfort in all of this today, knowing the presence of the Lord. And we come into verses 20 and 21, and the battle really starts to begin. It says in verse 20, So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Verse 21, they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. This foolish plan on day seven comes to pass. But I just wonder how the people of Jericho were thinking up to that point. I mean, I could see them all kind of inquisitively looking out on day one. Well, they're in formation and they walked around once and they went home. Day two, word spreads around the city a little bit more of this plan. Wait a minute, they just walked around the city once and they went home again? Well, maybe if you and I are observers on a hillside in that area, we can see by day three people looking over the city walls starting to laugh. Maybe starting to taunt. As they're getting into formation and they start walking around the city, maybe those people over the walls as they're laughing and taunting, maybe they're throwing things now at them. Maybe they're yelling out obscenities, mocking them. Maybe some of them even have ran up and they've taken a selfie with a soldier to make a meme or a gif out of. The laughing in Jericho, can you hear it? Can you hear it on day four? Can you hear it on day five? Look at those foolish people that follow God. Look how foolish they are just walking around the city in battle formation and going home. Maybe the taunts... And the laughter gets a little louder on day six. How crazy they are to worship this God. Look how foolish they are. But you know, in day seven, on the seventh lap, as the first person in formation started turning their left foot around the corner for the final time, laughter in Jericho stopped. The mocking stopped. The taunting stopped. See, it was on the seventh lap when that first trumpeteer blew the horn that the laughter stopped. It was when that first person in the formation that started the victory shout with his low bass voice yelled out and all the other ones yelled, the laughter stopped. When the walls of Jericho began to shake like the people of Jericho never had seen before, the laughter stopped. When those walls that verse 1 tells us fortified them, held back the enemies for years and years and years, they trusted in those walls. When they began to crack, the laughter stopped in Jericho. Today we see people mocking the Lord. Today we see people taunting Him. But you and I must remember this is a God not to mock. This is not a God to taunt. 
Because one day, what is Jericho showing us? What is this giving us a picture of? It's giving us a picture of the return of Christ. Because when Christ returns, the laughter stops. When Christ returns, the mocking ends. When Christ returns, the taunting stops. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says in verse 10, And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified with his saints and to be marveled at among all those who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. He is a God who will end all injustice, a God who will end all sin, a God who will not be mocked, a God who says, worship me. And for you and I, as believers in Christ, when we look out at the landscape of everything going on, this should bring us peace and comfort knowing that the Lord fights the battles. But it also should give us a missional heart for men and women who are mocking. It should give us a missional heart to go knock on those walls of Jericho and on those doors. And as the taunting comes our way, we let them know, no, this God loves you. And there's a way out of facing his wrath. And that's through his son, Jesus. Because what you find in the story of Jericho, what you find in the Bible is where there is judgment, there is always an opportunity of mercy. There's always a chance of salvation. And we pick up not only with the walls down, but now we pick up in verse 22 with mercy by a lady by the name of Rahab who experienced it. Verse 22 says, But the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there a woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out all her relatives and put them outside of the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything on it, only silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron. They put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, verse 25 says, the prostitute in her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she has hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy Jericho. We met Rahab in chapter 2. It was when two spies entered the land and they came to Rahab's house. Rahab gave a profession of faith, of believing in God, and she hid the spies. And the spy says, when we come back, we will save you and your household. Now, some of us may raise an instant objection to that and say, well, hang on one second. How is this just? How is this fair? How is this merciful that these, these spies happen to knock on Rahab's door? How is this right that Rahab gets saved but no one else? I mean, wasn't it just by chance they came to Rahab? Well, if we return back to chapter 2 for just a moment, we pick up in verse 10 there, and Rahab gives you a confession of faith, but then she also allows you to see the heart of the people of Jericho. Because when we come to chapter 2 and verse 10, we see Rahab talking to these spies and she says this, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you and when he came out of Egypt. And, when, 
and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Shion and Og, whom you devoted for destruction. Verse 11 says, And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, as you deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign. See, what Rahab did there, as she said in verse 11, this is who I believe the Lord is. I believe he is the God that you worship. He is the one true God. But then she tells us of the, the heart condition of the people of Jericho, but these people don't worship him that way. Yes, they fear him, but we wor- they worship all kinds of gods. They ultimately mock the God you worship, but I worship that God. See, Rahab's delivered, Rahab's saved, not because of what she did for the spies, but because of her faith in the one true God. Rahab's expressing and living out her faith. And what we see is God holding fast to his promise that in the midst of this judgment upon Jericho, there's salvation of this prostitute by the name of Rahab. See, Jericho reminds us of this. It was not impossible for anyone to be saved in Jericho. But there was only one household that put their faith in God, and that was Rahab's house. It was possible for any of them to be saved, but they rejected the Lord, and they met their destruction. I think when we come to this portion of chapter 6, you probably have already asked this question in your mind. It's the question I asked in my mind when I was preparing this and reading over this sermon. It's the, it's the question that you always ask in your mind when you probably re- read your Bible. It's the question you ask in your mind every time you sit with your life group class and you listen to the teacher. It's what I call the so what moment. So what? I mean, so what? I, okay, Joshua chapter 6, that was thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years ago. So what? What, what is this? What does this have to do with me? And again, let me return to my problems. What does this have to do with my anxieties and my depressions and my my marriage issues and my kid issues and my grandparent issues and my work issues? And again, that whole thing of the murder hornets that no one's talking about. What does this have to do with me? So what? Isn't this the fascinating question that we should ask ourselves every time we read the word of God? So what? What's the answer here? Why does Jericho matter? What is this pointing us to? See, Jericho in this story is pointing us to that, yes, we have all these problems that we deal with every day, all the time, but our greatest problem is a sin problem. Our greatest problem is a death problem. Our greatest problem is a hell problem. Our greatest problem is an eternal separation from God problem. But yet this Jericho story reminds us that God fought on our behalf. That God sent his only son, Jesus, into this world to fight that battle for us. That Christ died on the cross. Christ went into death. Christ came out of death. Christ has beaten death, beaten sin, beaten hell, and now brings us to God eternally through faith in him. So when we read the story of Jericho, our minds ought to race to the cross of Jesus Christ and say, thank you, Lord, for taking care of my ultimate eternal death, sin, and hell problems through your son, Jesus. That's good news. That's good news for those who believe. You believe in that. 
Are you holding fast to Christ by faith? This is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 55 through 58. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll let 1 Corinthians 55, 58 be our application point of the message. Where Paul says there, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work in the Lord is not in vain. It's saying there, allow God to fight those victories on your behalf. Trust in Him. Follow Him. Obey Him. Remember, as we went through this story this morning, it's the plans that you don't see clearly right now. Trust in the Lord in those plans. And you feel like you're kind of lost. You feel like you're wandering. That part of the story, remember the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord is with you. Remember his deliverance through the cross of Jesus Christ. How is Christ who won that victory? And by faith, you have the victory in Jesus today. I invite you here in the worship center to bow your heads, pray, close your eyes, and let's pray. I'm going to invite you in your homes right where you are, where you're watching this live stream, to go to the Lord in prayer with us as well. And maybe today, for the very first time, you're ready to confess Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says in order to have salvation, you place your, you, you place your faith and your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. You simply can do that by praying to him. He's calling out to him. Romans 10, 13 says, Forever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't have to be a fancy prayer. It can be as simple as, Lord Jesus, I need you to save me, and I'm ready to be a follower of Jesus. God knows your heart. You call out to him right where you are. Maybe this morning it's to pray. Lord, you've, you've got a plan and a calling but I don't see it clearly, but I know you're with me and I'm going to trust you. Maybe this morning it's to call out to the Lord in thanksgiving. Thank you for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's today to pray for that friend, the loved one, the child, the spouse, the grandchild, the the neighbor, whoever it is in your life that you know that's on your prayer list. Lord, I know Jesus is coming again. And that's going to be a glorious day for believers, but a day of judgment for those who stand opposed to you. Right now, you go to the Lord with that person by name. God, I want to see this person saved. Lord, I'm asking for the salvation of my friend, of my spouse, of my child, of my grandchild, of my neighbor, whoever that is. Go to the Lord with that name. Father God, it is David that prays in Psalm 18 that you would incline your ear to our prayers. And Lord, we thank you that as you bend in to hear us, that Lord, our our prayers come to your ears, even into your temple. Thank you for being a God who not only hears us, who fights on our behalf, who through his son Jesus Christ took care of the ultimate problems that we have in our lives, our sin problem our death problem, our hell problem, our eternal separation problem.
And Father, if we trust you with those big problems, Lord, help us to trust you right now with the things we go through on a day-to-day basis. Lord, help us this morning to continue to worship you, to declare that victory that we have in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.